say it never come to fruition unless the vision is crafted my drive is relentlessly repetitiously mastered progress is positive pessimism is backward since failure ain't attractive my next decision was drastic i want to start with uh let's say the gun control policies because i think that that's becoming um more and more um of a hot topic in the nation with the push for a ban on uh rifles so one thing that popped in my head that uh kind of got my wheels turning is i seen a, a interview where joe biden actually suggested that um americans don't need rifles and we should just buy shotguns he actually suggested that people buy shotguns instead of rifles. And I thought that that was interesting because his whole platform was that he was trying to minimize uh, mass shootings, mass murder. That's supposed to be the reason why uh, they want to push a ban on assault rifles. At least that's what they're telling the general public. So because I know a little bit about guns, I'm like, well, I mean, shotguns can do a lot of damage too. So that would not make sense to try to ban assault rifles saying that um as if people couldn't kill you know four or five people with a shotgun you know especially if you know anything about buckshots and um even semi-automatic shotguns where you don't even have to pump in between rounds i just thought that that was interesting that he would suggest um buy a shotgun because now it made me a little more curious as to why would they want to ban these rifles all of a sudden? Because now that made it clear that the agenda had nothing to do with uh, minimizing mass murder. So what do you think about, um, have you heard about that? Or what do you think, what's your take on just gun control and guns in general, maybe? Let's start with that. Well, yeah, my take on it is um, that um, I think sometimes the way we process things in this country, in particular with the mindset with which we process things here, I oftentimes think we intellectually hustle backwards. And what I mean is um, it's good to be versed on the particulars of any given subject or topic or situation at any given time. And that's important situationally. But when you talk about overall effectiveness and when you talk about cause and affect relationships, sometimes we hustle backwards intellectually. So if we look at gun control measures, say we compare um, other parameters as, you know, as far as gun control goes, you look at Canada, the amount of gun ownership in Canada, for example, um, versus uh, contrasted with how, how many mass shootings they have there. And when you look at the United States at gun ownership per capita and how many you know, mass shooting events we have here, I think you can obviously, you can see there's obviously not a, core, uh, a necessary correlation between per capita gun ownership and acts of mass shootings. Hmm. And what I mean is, uh, yeah, people own guns in other places, like in the in the outback, Australia, Canada, but people mainly use them for hunting. Uh, there are some maybe aggravated instances of domestic or, or disputes that may rise to that level um, of gunplay, but it's very, you know, it's not typical. It may be on the rise as of late, 
which is an indicator of a bigger with a bigger problem like that I will point to in the United States. So when I say intellectually hustling backwards, I mean looking at the result and the symptoms and the signs and symptoms of a thing and then confusing that with being the cause. Mm. So you have gun ownership um, at a relatively high rate in the United States, but per capita, you have way more mass shootings and shootings that happen in the United States as compared to other countries that uh, are not even, you know, necessarily as well off as the United States or at least, you know, first world countries. So I think when you talk about issues of um, deeper causes um, like economic, social economic disparities, uh, mindsets of the people, people are very racial, racialized and um, segregated in this country. And mm -hmm. I think the the dissension and the hostility, the instances of hostility is is heightened when you have um, uh, a segregated society because you have more uh, tribalism and sections and, and more um, disparate opportunities for conflicts to arise. So, for example, you have a Dylan Ruth type who identifies as uh, a male and then a white male and then a, uh, you know, an Aryan white male, for example. So all of those categories provide for an individual to be ostracized, to be individualized, right? Or to be specialized within a smaller, more hostile group. Mm -hmm. So as a white Aryan male, you know, besides a lot of the other, um, appendages that go along with that you could put young you could put you know mm -hmm. mentally challenged or economically challenged whatever but white Aryan male is sufficient enough to put him at odds with uh black um black with a black community with a black group of people that are in a place of worship and I think uh we often go right to, okay, people have too many guns, what do they need them for? Uh, when we overlook the entire classification of people and the racism that's seen, mm -hmm. and, the, and the runaway capitalism, you know, and the media that seems to undergird and encourage and create a platform psychologically and in reality in society for, for the majority of this. And that's hustling backward intellectually. And it's politically safe to talk about, oh, they, you know, there's too many guns. I'm going to pass a bill for gun control. Look, I did something about, you know, the mass shootings. When to tackle racism, runaway capitalism, obviously, right, that's not as, as a politically viable uh, solution. You know, any politician is not going to want to tackle that. So, you know, that's my, that's my startup opinion on it. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. So basically, they're trying to use, you know, they're using it as a as an excuse as to why this is happening without addressing the bigger issue or the even the cause more so than a bigger issue. And I agree that that's that's kind of what I get from it, especially after hearing those comments from the president himself and um and the vice president as well where it just seems to be 
a good opportunity to capitalize off of doing something for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's just to gain more support. Um, I don't see how it really uh, affects people when it comes to um, making restrictions on what type of guns people can buy. Because I personally don't believe that uh, the type of gun is going to change somebody's mind as to whether they want to go out and shoot somebody. I think if you have that in your mind, you're going to find a way to get the gun and you're going to find a way to do it because there's always going to be black markets and, and all those things for any type of person who's actually a criminal or actually seeking to do that type of thing where um, the people who are law-abiding, who are going to the stores and getting their licenses and um, you know doing everything pretty much by the book and by the law, those are the people who really get affected and it just makes no sense. That's how I kind of see it. So gun control is just another one of those things I want to keep an eye on just to see where it goes. Because I do, um, I am curious as to what the long-term goal for this um, movement is. So then um, we yeah. can... Oh, I just wanted to add in there. Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was looking at an article about the House passed its gun control bills to strengthen background checks. So it seems like the gist of m most of the gist of what they're trying to do at this time is um, do more thorough background checks, close some loopholes where people can purchase guns um, either at gun shows or offline that sort of uh, go around what would be the Federal Bureau of Investigations uh, background checks criteria so they shrink the, the amount of time that the FBI has to screen someone from a gun, for example, if they're buying it um, at a gun show, mm -hmm. uh, or they can uh, go around it altogether. And uh, they wanna propose legislation. Well, this is what they're floating out there. Right. To give the FBI, you know, increase the time for them to do background checks, et cetera. But like what, what you're saying is, um, I agree with what you're saying. It's uh, people that are going to get guns to do damage, right? They're not gonna be as concerned about, um, or they're not gonna be as hampered by, um, I don't think stricter gun legislation. Uh, obviously there'll be, if they close that dragnet, there will be some individuals that may be discouraged from getting certain types of guns. Mm -hmm. But I mean, again, the overall problem, if it's not addressed, um, yeah, you take a, you take an automatic assault rifle from a person. So now they, you decrease the effective range of the weapon, right? So if they're at a parking lot, you know, and they're shooting in individual lines, or if they have uh, lines of sight, or if they have, um, you know, the ability to shoot longer range or snipe, mm -hmm. but then, you know, you let them have a, a shotgun, they saw it off and then, you know, they, catch a bunch of people at closer range or they go to other sorts of uh terroristic devices like right. improvised explosive devices or exactly you know poisoning there's all sorts of things that uh people will resort to to cause damage pain suffering and death as long as those sort of underlying social problems exist Right. And, and the measures of happiness in a country that's so materialistic, but rates amongst the lowest in the developed nations amongst measures of happiness, contentment, mm -hmm. when these sorts of 
studies are done on people and to measure happiness and uh, how content people are with their lives. The United States ranks amongst the lowest, you know, like like a, a third world country almost. Yeah, so no, that makes sense. I believe it because you can see it, and it's and it's a violence problem. So that's an American issue, um, but they like to isolate you know, this violence um, and even segregated. That's how you get black on black uh, violence versus domestic terrorism. And, you know, and it is all, you know, you can separate it, but at the end of the day, um, there's really a violence problem. And I think if a person is really focused on violence, it shouldn't be segregated. You should just try to minimize the violence as best as possible in all areas, because it's really all kind of a common link First of all, the black on black violence thing is, in my opinion, you know, it makes no sense to even have that phrase um, as a term, um, especially when you know about people committing crimes in close proximity to where they live. Um, so if you live in a black community and you're a black person, most likely you're not going to go outside of your neighborhood to commit a crime, just like um if you're an Asian person in an Asian community, you wouldn't go outside of your community to commit a crime. So crime is fairly segregated. So all crime can be coined, you know, black on black or white on white, Asian on Asian, so forth and so on. But that's a whole nother story. Uh, you want to comment on that since I kind of just brought it up? Yeah, for sure. I would say that um, I think we got to look at often cases it comes down to reality versus hyperbole and versus propaganda. So we have one reality. You have you have truth, have things that are true, and then you have things that are real. Um, but then you can have propaganda and media that goes against what is true. And then it can ultimately try and um, influence the reality and uh, there's there's a problem when that happens. For example, if you if the media spins a narrative of uh, of black on black violence, which black on black violence, quote unquote, is technically a reality. If you have people that are defined as black that practice violence against each other, but then to exalt black on black violence as something that is um, special or especially horrific or something that is particular to black people and all these sorts of things. Now you're getting into distortions of truth and reality, mm. but see that becomes very real in the minds and the psyches of people because they watch the news, they watch the media, they buy into it. So they sort of are being trained in sort of a skewed reality because the truth in that, in the actual reality is yes, there's intra and and, and intergroup violence. So when you look at, um, you know, whites or Caucasians that are in charge of militaries and governments that, uh, you know, drop bombs and they kill hundreds of millions of people, right? And say US is at war with Russia or, you know, even on smaller scales, you know, you've got, um, you know, white on white crime. You know, where a mass shooter goes into a high school and shoots things up or, you know, they're selling drugs to each other or they're, you know, running sex trafficking or human trafficking rings. These are all these could all technically be defined as instances of, quote unquote, white on white violence. Right. Because right. you have people from different Eurocentric backgrounds 
who are defined as Caucasian or Caucasoid. They have, uh, you know, pale, paler skin and uh, they're practicing violence against each other. But obviously the media doesn't present it sort of in that framework. Right. So I think that uh, what we as black people, while everybody falls victim to skewed media perceptions, we as black people, I think need to be particularly careful about that because we historically and actually always stand, you know, we have the most to lose mm -hmm. by buying into skewed narratives because nine times out of 10, those narratives are gonna be skewed against us. They're not gonna be skewed to make us look like supermen and superwomen and responsible people and pure as the wind driven snow as soon as we show up in the room. Mm -hmm. The narrative is not that, the narrative is that we're black. Right. We're black like uh, the Black Day, like a Black Sabbath, like a Black Mark. We share, we share an identity with a uh, metaphor that, that means wickedness and evil. That's our metaphor. So we have to be extra careful about buying into sort of these, these any narrative that's coming from the media. I mean, I think we would be more sane to instinctively question what comes from mainstream media, not as a delayed response, but our first instinct should be to question and to prove it. Mm -hmm. And then accept what seems to be reasonable based on truth and reality, not run with the narrative first and then make someone else prove, you know, a counter narrative. I think we, you right. know, yep. we get it wrong in that sense. Yep. I agree with that. I think that is something that we have to be more conscious of as uh, just the media in general and how it will portray black people. Um, but yeah, and that's all, you know, it's all kind of related to and to talk about um, gun control and police shootings of African American people. Um, I think there's always a relation because for some reason and always is a line of racism, kind of like you say, with any of these movements or any of these things, there's always something, it affects black people the worst, if, if that makes sense, where I could see just about any policy, um, even if you take gun control, I could see that affecting, you know, black gun owners more than anybody. Um, I could see that um, just like with the Black Panthers, you know, everything was fine and dandy. Black Panthers start exercising their rights to carry and whatnot. And you just see this push for gun control. And it's kind of the same thing now. More black uh, people are starting to exercise their rights to carry firearms. And it's like, we have to control, you know, gun control. And, um, you know, and they're using these mass shootings um, as an avenue to encourage people to, to get these pushes. But um, with the police shootings, um, not to get too specific on anyone, but it's almost like it's becoming more and more frequent where it's like, you know, you go from maybe one or two, three a year that you see on the news to almost one like every month, you know, every couple of weeks, you're just hearing about, you know, somebody really getting killed by the police. And it just make me ask the question again with the media is like, why, why are they so eager to show it? Um, why are they so eager to let it be known that this is a problem 
However, nobody's really doing anything about it. It kind of makes it seem disingenuous, where it's like, um, if you really thought this was a problem, and you'll see this a lot with um, Caucasian uh, broadcasters, like news media outlets, where they will kind of do this, um, I guess, sympathetic type of spiel about how this is wrong and it's clearly a problem with the police force um, and people need to do something about it and they'll just keep showing these uh, violent, brutal killings on TV. However, police officers may express violence towards people who are not African American, but you just don't see it as much. Now, of course, Black people are affected at a disproportionate rate, so we know that it's a it's a bigger black issue, I would say, because we know the racial undertone to it. But again, I would have to ask myself, why are they sh so eager to show, um, you know, black people being brutalized on TV versus other people who are being brutalized? They just won't show it. So what's your take kind of on that? Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. Let me um, just do a, a brief run up. Um, maybe call it historical, but just a general context. Yep. Whenever you want to suppress a people, there are means with which to suppress a people. And uh, the preferred method to suppress a people is to have the people um, sort of cooperate in their own oppression, otherwise be brainwashed. This is where media comes in. This is where when you get um, black people feeling inferior based on the constant barrage of messages and advertising that we receive through media. Okay, that's the preferred method of keeping a people in their place. Oppressors typically don't like to resort to outright violence. That's typically a sign that they're losing control in many instances because that's gonna be um, the thing that sort of upsets the cart the most. Mm. Now, that being said, black people in America, and when I use black, I, you know, to be specific, I would mean black Americans or, or descendants of slavery, or at least people generationally that have been in this country mm. who have been effectively um, and generationally influenced by media and identity. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to more recent arrivals, you know, not wanting to offend anyone, but recent arrivals of quote unquote black people who do not necessarily define themselves as black and neither have been subjected generationally to the sort of uh, brainwashing campaigns. But that being said, media, so you would have uh, brainwashing, getting people to be uh, to sort of feel less about themselves and sort of give up and not try and to have all these sort of inferiority complexes and self-hate complexes. That way the oppressor doesn't have to directly hold a person down. That person will find a back door for themselves. And that's sort of the most efficient way to keep a population oppressed. Um, and, you know, there are economic hands, there are economic parameters to that. There are media parameters to that. Um, but that being said, when, when we talk about media and you talk about the rise in police violence and anti-Black violence, especially as being portrayed by the media, I think you have two things happening. 
And one of the things is um, that there could actually be a rise in anti-Black violence situations. Mm -hmm. Either there's an actual rise in it and or there's a rise in the media coverage. Now, we have to know is that with the advent of technology and cell phones and small cameras and sort of this uh, making everybody a reporter, as it were, you obviously have a greater scope of coverage of these things. And this is something that's outside of mainstream media control. Mm -hmm. so, but right. what we wind up seeing typically is the media co-opting this and apparently showing this and they're putting it out there as if they're sympathetic, like you said, but in actuality, what I think it is and what I think it could be is uh, the, the, the other side of that sword or that double-edged sword is that you are mounting sort of a psychological warfare against black people. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, we will think, oh, if the media is showing us getting murdered then they're sympathetic and they're showing a, a problem. Right. But on the other side of the coin is, if you can imagine, for example, when you go, if a child goes to a school and a child is getting bullied by someone who is has an advantage in the situation over them. In the case of a child is the other person is either an adult or they're bigger, they're more powerful. And when that child comes into that school, if that child is not bowing and giving up the lunch money on time what the bully will do is they will they will uh engage in acts of violence against that helpless child mm -hmm. now the point of doing that is to put the child in its place to traumatize the child right but actually all those other kids on the school ground it's not that the the bully actually doesn't want them to see when it comes time to make an example of somebody and exert authority and power over somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Those other kids might look and say, oh, damn, that's too bad, right? You know, um, you know, he's he's beating up on him again, right? He's beating up on, uh, you know, Devante again or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that sympathy on the part of other people doesn't equate to power. See, the bully is still bigger and more powerful. And even though other people see what the bully is doing, that can actually help to establish the bully's authority. Because the bully is like, yeah, I'm going to kick your ass. I want you to know it. I want everybody out here to know it. In case anybody gets any ideas, I'm big, I'm a badass. Don't mess with me. Hmm. And we've been sort of socialized to think like, okay, the media is showing this. Therefore, that's um, sympathetic, but it's actually not empowering. Right. Empowering is when the person that's getting picked on doesn't feel any qualms about fighting back. Right. When they feel like, oh, I'm fighting this bully back. Oh, that must make me as bad as the bully. I'm stooping his level. No, oh, it means mm. you're fighting back. Right. And all those other people on the school ground are going to respect that person when they stand up, don't give their lunch money for free and they fight back, right? And they're willing to take an ass kicking or go down swinging. That doesn't make that person, you know, that's actually more accurate on a pathway to empowerment versus everybody look what he's doing to me. Don't you all feel sorry for me? 
Mm-hmm. You know, they other people may or may not feel sorry for that person. They may actually despise that person. They may actually think that person is very weak. Right. Which is the opposite effect. So, yeah, that's that's what I suspect as far as mainstream being willing to show and barrage us with these constant images of violence against Black people. I think it actually uh, can be a sort of... Um, psychological warfare and trauma same as when back in the lynching era when people when black people knew right they were lynching on an average of uh, two to four negroes every every week Mm -hmm. and there was uh, thousands of negroes lynched within the space of a couple years and they put that in the newspaper beforehand right everybody show up to the lynching and then you could get pieces of a negro and postcards and and if you couldn't make it you get postcards and you know you could put it in your mason jars and the taxidermist would preserve the ear or whatever I mean all those sorts of things was done shamelessly by a nation and um foreign policy at the time you know yeah people thought uh United States is getting exposed that you know these things are going into the press but uh you know, in actuality, it a lot of Negroes were traumatized by that. Entire generations of Negroes were traumatized by that and raised their children to be afraid and fear white people. Right. Because of the those terror campaigns that not only happened in the backwoods of the southern countries, but they were on the front page of, of newspapers, you know, every every week. So right. at least every month and uh, across the nation, North, South, uh, Midwest, New York. Right. So. No, that makes sense. That will make sense because um, like I said, you see it more and more, but I feel like it's very select in what they show on the, on the, on the media. And I think it's, you know, people should be able to hold the media responsible because um. You know, those type of things, if the common person was to do um, something that provocative, you know, they would definitely get uh, not only criticized, but um, sometimes you could even go to jail for certain type of things when you were uh, like inciting a riot or putting, you know, putting that type of, you know, terrorizing people with certain images and things like that. Can uh, yeah. People can be held accountable on criminal charges, you know. Um, and I feel like the the news gets away with a lot of it because you know they have the support of the of the nation. When you really look at it, when you really weed everything out, it's because everybody who's tuning in and watching this, um, they're in support of it. If they're not the victims, you know, or if they're not a part of that oppressed group, then everybody else kind of gets a kick out of it in one way or another because that's the only way you wouldn't be outraged by it even if it wasn't affecting you you would just say that's not right because if i was that person or that group of people i wouldn't want to see that and um and they never show aside from police killings they never really show on the news the countless um attacks that police just have that are not even fatal um, but just things like, um, you know, multiple African-American women uh, accusing police officers of rape. You know, you don't see that on the news. And it's like, why do you yeah. have to why do you have to research that? But um, you want to say that you're targeting uh, police reform, but you're still only focusing on things that are pretty much um, 
I would say debatable because you can always say, well, the officer was authorized to use deadly force. But if you talk in rape, there's no authorization for rape. There's no policy. There's no argument there. So even when it's a clear cut case of um, use of force, use of force is still something that can be argued every time versus something like uh, a rape charge. And if you see how big that is, then I think people will get the the bigger picture of what police brutality is in the black community and how it affects different people um, or just uh, how they treat the younger kids who are minors, um, you know, yeah. things like that of that nature. You don't really see that as often, but you will see it from time to time because I think again, that nobody really wants to address the real issue. Like you said back in the beginning, which is um, the racial components of it. Like this is clear cut racism but they want to make it about everything other than that. So that's why you'll see the footage of people getting shot. Cause now you can just make that about a shooting and not necessarily racism. Right. And I agree. Um, I think the thing is the dominant society, especially when it comes to media, which is the propaganda arm of, I mean, if we want to call it white supremacy, there is a correlation uh, with uh, whites and power and uh, the group that uh, sort of controls, that controls the media. I think they are very keen authors of confusion. And when I say confusion, um, they're masters at bringing several uh, different um, sort of uh, a variety of different focals of concentration and topics and subject matters and questions and what about this and what about that all together in the scope of uh, even just one story or one subject that is apparently cut and dry, mm -hmm. but they will bring all these different uh, points of view and sort of just different, uh, what do you call that when a person is, um, short attention span, like they're masters at confusion. So mm -hmm. the root being con, um, meaning with infusion to bring things together. So when you're, when you're fusing different things, you can look at a police killing of a person. And then all of a sudden, when the topic gets uh, streamlined with, well, he was running or should he have been running or should we do reform and what should reform consist of and the officers are from the suburbs and what about race and uh, what about, uh, you know, race in America, he's never seen black people. And all of a sudden the topic is so confused and muddled that uh, we lose sight of it. And, you know, it winds up being this sort of uh, this sort of intellectual just scrimmage where anybody is saying anything and, you know, nobody's hearing anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wanted to say to your point, like segregation, at one point we had actual segregation in this in this country, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then that segregation was supposedly outlawed, but we know that we still have social economic segregation, which is the whole point when you have black people concentrated physically in the spaces that are the most deprived in all aspects of well-being, economically, educationally, uh, spiritually, um, diet, nutritionally. Mm -hmm. So 
we have segregation, but also we have with the rise of media and even social media, I think segregation itself has become so sophisticated that we even have a psychological segregation to where you can have a person who is a human being, you can have a whole other group of people who also call themselves human beings, and they will look at um, you know, what's happening to say human being A, melanated human being A, and group over here that's in a group of uh, you know, self-professed human being B, and they see themselves as separate psychologically. Mm -hmm. So they see that person and they don't see them as human, even though they profess that they're humans. And, you know, they'll say that on some levels, oh, this is a shame. But those Black people, right, they need to uh, stand up for themselves or do this or that or, you know, stop uh, the behavior they're doing. It gets put back on, you know, Black people because I think other groups are psychologically segregated. I think segregation is great. Mm -hmm. I think you can have people that... I think segregation, it goes to the point to where you can have individuals that are segregated in their own mind. Mm -hmm. You can have a, a black person, a white person come together intimately. They can be as close as they can be physically to the point that they're unified physically mm -hmm. and they're psychologically segregated. And the, the white person still, their worldview is a white worldview. The black person sees themselves as, you know, black and all of the uh, metaphorical trauma and uh, disconnectedness that goes along with that. And then you can have a child from that unity and that child can see themselves as belonging to two polar opposite groups in society, being mm -hmm. one individual. Right. That's how sophisticated segregation has, has become. And, uh, you know, it's nothing new. But again, I would just say some in that that diatribe up is that um, we as as uh, people defined as black, us as black people, black Americans, there's obviously something so special about us because there's so much money, time, resources and uh, focal and attention that's put on us to be right. these so-called nobodies. There's sure a hell of a lot of attention and effort that goes into making sure that's constantly checking for us, what we're doing, what we're making, what we're creating, where we're at, what kind of laws are there? Are there street, three strikes laws? Is there marijuana laws? Is mm -hmm. there, you know, prison, um, you know, are we gonna make them fight forest fires or wear bracelets, open air prisons, all this sort of stuff. Right, oh, real. We revolve around and revolves around us to that we have to opt out of media definitions, these false realities, and start to do some deep soul searching as to who we are, who we are, and uh, not definitively, not categorically, but who we are uh, truthfully, like who we are in our being, like who, who are we gonna define ourselves? Right. And uh, so we can start coming up with solutions, you know? No, definitely, man. That's that's deep, actually. The way that you put that, that's um, the segregation piece was was nice. I'm gonna have to re-listen to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah no, because it's true. And um, 
I think that that's, that kind of sums that up real good. I want to kind of end that piece of, on that note um, because I think that sums it up real good as to what we're dealing with. When we see the news kind of selectively um, basically poke at black people and, you know, kind of show us like, aha, this is how you're being treated. And we're going to act like we care, but we really don't. So we're just going to keep showing you how bad this is and how worse it can get. Um, which Yes, exactly. Yeah, and it shows. Go ahead. Just add something real quick. There is a double-edged sword to that. And I want to say white supremacy is not almighty. And what I mean is the same way they study and and sort of um, tweak methods of of oppression generationally for us. I mean, like this generation, it may be trying to get our young men to, you know, sort of wear skirts and you got p diddy out in skirts and mm-hmm. purses and you know kirk franklin and this and that which i that seems and you know young thug and not to just point fingers or get yeah. in any sort well. of trouble but just to say defining us and who we're supposed to be and using popular culture as a method to do that they've sort of tweaked that and do that generationally mm-hmm. but they are not almighty so in the sense that when they come out and show this plethora of police videos and violence against black people and then show the the perpetrator get off free, yeah, that sends a message sort of as a bully would, look, don't don't mess with me, you know, because mm-hmm. I can do it, you can't do anything about it. Um, the back, the 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 uh the kick to that, the what is that word? Backfire? Not backfire. Anyway, the blowback to that would be um, the blowback to that is, yes, the bully is revealing themselves as a bully and they are, in essence, provoking uh, people to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And in as much as while the bully, that's why I said they prefer to do things under wraps to throw the rock and hide the hand and make it look like the oppressed people are actually the ones that's doing it to themselves. Because the minute they come out and start to use direct violence and to reveal themselves as perpetrators of direct violence, the more they sort of unmask the double, as it were. Mm -hmm. And the more that becomes more risky because then not only do black people see more of a recognizable enemy Whereas at first they may think it's that nigga down the street, you know, right. James Nim, them niggas down the street is who's messing with me. The more black people themselves are able to see like who actual apex perpetrators are, right? That sort of serves as a rallying cry at the same time. And also the narrative of that is sort of communicated to other uh, defined groups of people. Uh, that gets that gets shot down too. It says, "Look, um, Asians, Indians, uh, Latinos, um, you know, even some uh, poor would-be conscious-minded whites. Look, these niggas do it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't have to have pity for them. You know, they're not that evolved. They're shooting themselves, and but then all of a sudden, when you have this, uh, you run the risk of exposing who true bullies are." Um, Right, you can't sort of continue that mantra of uh, they're doing it to themselves per se. So right. there is a risk to that, you know. Yeah, kind of the counter side of it. And that makes sense. 
Uh, like when you had the Crips and the Bloods uh, unite, one of the most notable gang unifications came out of uh, the Rodney King verdict after, you know, they saw, the everybody saw the cops doing what they did. Mm -hmm. now imagine that had been happening to those, to those black people on the West Coast for generations. Right. Right. And there was never a unity of that magnitude that united until everybody saw it on the media, everybody saw the cops get off. And then you had blue and red bandanas tied together on that level for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. What I've been pleased to see recently is young black people, even when they're at a uh, different Crips and blood sets, you know, talking about the West Coast uh, mm -hmm. that say, uh, yeah, those days of you getting rank in the organization by putting down another black man or those days of us, you know, out here just banging to be banging to put tears on our cheek. And, uh, right. you know, we out here about getting money and we're going to make music with whoever crossed the tracks. Nipsey, we all got love for Nipsey. It can be blood sets, pyru sets. Mm -hmm. We all got love for Nipsey Hustle, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, they be rolling 60s or they be, you know, neighborhood block crips. There, I see this new sort of unity happening tentatively, but persistently with some of these newer generations. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's an accident that it's in sync and lockstep with sort of this media brag of brag of fest about um, killing black people. I think right. that's the risk they run. They open a lot of eyes and not always in the way they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that is a good thing. I've been noticing the same thing. And um, I think that eventually it's only going to get better, um, especially, like you said, as people begin to really see the bully for who the bully is, um, like you said. So they kind of shoot themselves in the foot at the same time. Um, trying to flex a little too hard yeah and it's it's i don't think since america was built on blood slavery thievery robbery rape everything and refuses to repent refuses to make it right refuses to do reparations it's like building an upside down pyramid you can't mm -hmm. focus everything on a, a privileged few Right, and then make that the basis of a society because the pyramid is upside down. Right. It's not gonna balance. You have to have a strong base. So you have to make things right. You gotta have things right at the base of your society, which is the masses of people. Mm. And then, right, there should be lesser privileged uh, people, but this, this country is backward. Mm -hmm. The very few <laughs> privileged people own most of everything. And most of the masses are left with discontent, growing economic despair, loss in value of the dollar, uh, just all types of crises. I mean, take your pick mm -hmm. A to Z. And uh, that thing is not going to stand. So, and I don't want, uh, I would counsel black people not to be surprised when it falls because uh we've been dealing with white supremacy and oppression so long it seems like a course of nature it seems almost as real as mountains in a sunrise and stuff like that mm -hmm. but uh the day is coming when it's gonna fall <laughs> you right. know yeah. it's gonna be a spectacular thing to see the sad part is uh 
you know, we're going to have to live it too. <laughs> right, right. We got to live through it. Gotta, ain't no getting out of it. But that's, that's, that's facts, man. And um, yeah, it all correlates because even with the Asian hate movement, stop Asian hate movement, um, again, which brings me back to my point that you can see police brutality for generations and not get anything done specifically for blacks. But um, I mean, almost immediately you see stop Asian hate and just like that, they get policy to protect them. Um, policy. I think they got yep. like thirty-one million dollars. That was the latest sort of uh, yep. federal allocation to. Yep. So and it's and it's almost immediate. Like this was a direct response to how they were treated um, as it related to President Trump, um, basically driving the idea that the coronavirus is from Asia, and you know it was the Asians' fault. And they said that this was a rise, um, this contributed to a rise in hate crimes um, on Asian Americans. And I mean, that was very quick because COVID has been around in America, you know, for about a year or so. And you just see how quick um, you get this turnaround, even though you don't see the footage, you don't see the, you don't see it all over the news. You don't really see this Asian hate. It's just something that has said to have happened. It was believed, nobody questioned it, nobody um, dissected the Asian community and seen if they were perfect to make sure that they got their, they got everything together before they got any kind of policy to protect them. They didn't do all those things that you see them do with uh, the black community and black people. As right. you can see the suffering, um, it was just like, hey, that wasn't right. And wow, they got policy and they get relief immediately. And this could just be the beginning. You don't even know where it's gonna go from there. And um, and I think that that is a slap in the face, um, especially when people have been telling black people that we have to fight for people of color and uh, Asian people have been a part of that people of color. But when they get protection, they didn't get protection for people of color. They got protection specifically for Asian people and the Asian communities should not have ex accepted it if they were genuine about um being tied into the struggle that black people are um, suffering from, you know, this same type of right. oppression. And you know that, and that's not what happens. So that's how you know it's not genuine, how people will even use a black movement, uh, a black movement to get their own needs met. And then they'll just cross black people out like our problems are not even real. Um, so it's a huge slap in the face uh, by the government to to do that. And I think that Again, like you said, that's going to open a lot of people's eyes because um, it's very blatant. And it's, again, it's, it's like when I see the Stop Asian Hate videos, if I see a hate video um, like on, on Yahoo, they say a guy who attacked the Asian woman, it's always um, that I've seen, it's always a black guy. So it's still not even addressing the Asian hate um, that's happening more frequently is still a racial undertone where they're going to pick um, these incidences where they find some black guy, um, uh, you know, attacking the Asian to still make it like the racism is coming from, you know, black people and not the real people who are really um, promoting racism or executing these heinous crimes. So, yeah. Yep, just, I, I agree, man. And I think, uh, 
I don't, that's nothing new. And that's why I would advise all people, especially black people, do your research, no history. Don't just exist in a moment. Existing in a moment is like uh, being in a, in a game for your life. Uh, like if you have a game where you start on square one mm -hmm. and it goes say to square 500, you wake up one day and you're on square 10 and you know nothing about you know what's from what's behind you and you don't know where you came from you have no point of reference it's like being at at sea with a ship with no compass mm -hmm. you know when we exist as human beings and we're struggling we have a past and a present and then we use that to chart and compass our and and encompass and, and plot a future so this whole notion of uh like black people were here as slaves. Uh, we got freed around what was 1860, uh, 1865 or so uh, on paper. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking at sort of waves of immigrations, we know like uh, Asians were key and they were involved in building the transcontinental railroads, right? right. Yep. And they were brought in, they built railroads and everything. Again, when they came in, they were not slaves. Right. But it is mighty peculiar. They were brought in and uh, they were used to sort of, uh, they were used as a labor source that essentially <clears throat> might have undercut newly freed slaves that were now coincidentally vying for wages in their own businesses and things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had been uh, all of our property, our bodies, our intellectual property, our labor was owned by other people. And it seems like on the heels of, of emancipation and when emancipation was in the air, even all of a sudden, you know, you get waves of immigrants that come in and um, are used to perform work. Now, granted, the United States used uh, main uh, lots of Mexicans to dig ditches to blow dynamite. They use lots of agents to work on railroads, etc. So it is it was the American system, capitalistic system, that took advantage of these different people groups. However, these people groups were used strategically, mm -hmm. and and the result is was always that they uh, undercut and undergird black people they undercut right. black people rather right yep and uh it's absolutely nothing new and when you look at uh when black people start to make advances whatever your opinions are on um feminism but we know that uh white feminists were highly upset when uh when black people were getting the right to vote specifically they say black men but they leave out that at that time family structures were men women and children and a vote from one member in the family benefited the entire family because they ate as a unit. Right. And so men would go out and vote. That was how the dominant society did it. So black people come along in the situation that we're at and our men say, well, we're going to cast a vote too. Well, all of a sudden now that's toxic masculinity <laughs> and right. white females have a problem. So the women's suffrage movement mm. is born at the time when we're making progress and getting the right right to vote. Right. So now you have feminism step in on the coattails and take the shine and ride on the swag of a black movement. Yep. And it, it's nothing new at all. But when you look at it contextually, historically, then you see, uh, hey, 
black people are getting too much attention. There's too much talk about what black people are doing with their suffering. You know, we got to keep the Negroes from, you know, thinking they're too much or about themselves. We got to keep the world basically from looking too much at the Negroes. Let's do mm -hmm. this anti-Asian hate thing. Right. Not to mention that, and you know, not no shade to any Asians, but because I believe it's all tied to, you know, media and propaganda. But when you talk about assaults against Asians, you're talking about statistically, relatively, a, a relatively small number of actual physical violence events. Right. You know, that could or could not be organic. It could or could or not be these people. Uh, especially in terms of black people just going out like I'm going to hate and, and, you know, do this to an Asian. I mean, that could be really happening. It could be setups, not getting into that. Right. But usually it's something like uh, name calling, insults, mm -hmm. some inconveniences. And at the end of the day, they still have a culture, a language, economic stability. They dominate in, you know, educational and economic arenas. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you look at black people and the condition of black people, I mean, there's absolutely no comparison. Right. But like you said, yet all the attention is there. And that's that points back to uh, media versus truth and reality. You know, but it's like a, a plane. If reality and truth is like gravity. Right. Mm -hmm. then media likes to fly everybody to the stars or, you know, they like to fly. It's like putting people in a plane and making them believe they can defy gravity and right. they can fly and fly mm -hmm. around. But eventually guess which one wins, right? <laughs> gravity wins because <laughs> the earth and gravity is here. Right. You know, and eventually you're going to run out of fuel and you got to come down to earth. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, no, that's a good one. Nah, man, that's um, that's that's well put. I think that that tackles that um, because it's so obvious. And I know when I saw that, I was just like, this is um, I didn't think it was crazy or anything, because like you said, it is not anything new. However, um, I think it is still a little surprising to see how many people are still in question of it that's what surprises me the most is that, um, you know, people still want to argue. And it's like, we have the historical documentation of um, the way that black people have been treated. So unlike anybody else's um, history of oppression, especially in America, um, I mean, they have it right there in the laws that says, you know, you know, black people are not allowed to do X, Y, Z, you know? And so it, it's no, yeah, exactly. there's really no argument. Like they've put it in their own history book that this is the way black people was treated. So it's it's surprising that people would actually question that basically anything a black community said against an oppressive group of people who've already proven that they are oppressive towards black people. That's what's surprising. Um, especially the people who are like, you know, so-called liberal you know, even the liberal people, they'll still kind of turn around at the end of the day and say, well, black people need to need to change what they're doing. That's really what they're going to say at the end of, the, of any support, um, any Black Lives Matter support, any kind of support for black people, uh, progress or black communities. 
at the end of the day, even though liberal minds will eventually say, um, you know, black people, black men need to pull their pants up first. That's what's going to, that's what it's going to boil down to. Or, you know, black people need to get off welfare and work harder. You know, and it's going to be something, at least that's what I've noticed. And, um, and it's, it's quite sickening because, you know, real lives are at stake and this is, um, real trauma that's happening to real people, but everybody want to make light of it. And, um, and then kind of rub it in your face with everything else. So, yeah, I agree. And that's, uh, but the, the thing is, is this, you're going to have the majority, sadly, majority of people they follow because when there's no unity, uh, when there's no intelligence, because we got to think about the, uh, the purpose and the effect of, of media and propaganda. And, and back in the day, I guess people would have to, you know, go shout to the masses, you know, and then use uh, bullhorns or, you know, whatever. And then there was a printing press, et cetera. But now media has gotten entirely sophisticated, more and more sophisticated at propagandizing mm -hmm. that uh, when someone sees something, and even now, I think traditional channels like CNN and uh, Fox or whatever, for the newer generations, those are even going by the wayside, but those have a huge audience right. and people will assume the legitimacy of it. Mm -hmm. So when, when CNN comes out and uh, they trivialize black pain by flooding and saturating the market and even eventually desensitizing people to it, we all know who dies first in all of the horror flicks. Mm -hmm. We know who dies first in reality and even in their fantasies, even in their fantasies, right? Black guy gets on, you know, you hear the whispering in the woods who said that nigga is good as dead. And right. that was, a, that was sort of the, uh, that's the cliche. That was the, the, uh, the stereotype, which it showed, it revealed an aspect of their fantasy and, 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 and the, the vision, and you're talking fiction. You're talking aliens from outer space. They right. even hate black people. Right. So by right. the time you <laughs> get to uh, this sort of media, like this plant, this trivializing and downplaying and desensitizing uh, people to black death and pain and suffering, right? It's it's uh, it's nothing new. Mm -hmm. And when you get the masses that tune into that unfortunately, right, it's the masses that will then follow. They see something on the news, the news are, you know, they're professional people in suits and, you know, they're educated and this is what they do. Therefore, you know, it's true and it's right. real. They make that equation. And, uh, and I think, again, that's one of the dangers of finding oneself outside of a historical context and understanding propaganda. And uh, the few are the ones that that think that think outside of the box and uh you know it's it's on us to just speak the truth now you gotta in some cases sadly at the end of the day there will be losses that are cut because right. a lot of people will they will just not you know listen because the other thing about entertainment is it's very entertaining and mm -hmm. people get comfortable 
you can sit on your couch and you can watch that story and you can get engrossed in it mm -hmm. to the point where even the reality, the story of us is sort of a fictionalized commodity. You can watch slave narratives. You can watch movies. Now you can watch, um, you know, the revolution on, on film and TV. You can see what people did and you can see the re, re, uh, the George Floyd death on, on a syncopation. Mm -hmm. And it's all sort of becomes part of a commercialized reality to whereas you have even Black Lives Matters like individuals getting rich off of that and it's yeah. commoditized, it's commercialized and people will tune in and at one point it is a form of entertainment even though it's their very lives and supposed mm -hmm. to be reality. It's still uh, uh, just like a big game show and, and it's going to be a lot of people will not, they will not come out of that, you know, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And um, it just, you actually just made me think of something else when you was talking about um, how even in the fantasy, uh, you know, black, black death is kind of just something that entertains, you know, other people. And it made me think of this case that I was reading about um, a death row inmate in Arkansas who um who was executed and then the day after the attorney says he finds DNA that belonged to somebody else that would have exonerated this guy, right? And um and it just made me think again where like it's like a joke to them where it's entertaining, uh, where you know that people knew this information before he was died, uh before he was killed, and um and they decided to release it the day after he was executed. And, you know, kind of rubbed it in the family's face where it's right. like, oh, you know, now this person is dead, but we had, we just found DNA that would have showed he was innocent. Whole time, I'm pretty sure he was saying he was innocent, you know, because we know how those cases go. But um, just that constant, all different type of avenues where they just show black death. That's basically where I'm getting at and how it becomes like, this has to be entertaining because, um, the way that it's playing out is just one thing after another where they just want to show, um, you know, helpless, the helpless uh, black person in a position that nobody wants to be in, which is facing death um, and not having any can or having the illusion that they have no control over the outcome. Um, but again, like you said, I do think that um, it, it is open in a lot of people's eyes and people are starting to see, especially younger generations. And I think that's huge. Because um, when you can really get the attentions of younger people um, with that energy and charisma, I think that you will see more significant change because um, that's usually where it kind of starts. Like you do need to, we need the older and middle-aged people as, as guidance. And I feel like that, um, that gap has been strategically placed between the younger generations and the older generations. Right. Um, but you slowly, slowly are starting to see those gaps be bridged as well. And I think that's where you're going to see the biggest impact is when um, the younger people see there's a reason why the older people are, you know, basically demanding or um, have certain standards for them when they say certain things. And it's not to be malicious um, like the oppressors who um, may say things to belittle you. You actually say things to encourage them when it's 
you know, people alike. So when you tell people to have a little more self-respect for themselves, you actually mean that so that they can better themselves and not, um, you're not using it to basically make them feel bad about themselves or insecure, um, how other people use things against us. So, right, exactly. And when you look at things in reality and you understand, again, reality in historical contexts, you know that it's not about what pants you're wearing. Right. Or how you're wearing them, because when you talk about the lynching era, we went from a time to where we could only uh, afford potato sacks. Right. You lynch a person that's got a potato sack with a rope tied around their waist because they can't afford pants and they don't have shoes. They've got cloth strapped to their feet mm-hmm. and they're lynched. And you you fast forward to uh, you know the heyday of the of the Black Renaissance. You talk about the writing expose in in uh, Illinois and Chicago, and you got a uh, uh, Zora Neale Hurston and um, some of the other prolific Black writers of um, of the Black Renaissance. These 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 folks were wearing suits. Mm-hmm. Often wore suits with ties. Uh, Malcolm X generation, they wore the the sort of jumpsuit, a sort of baggy pants with jumpsuits. Hell, mm-hmm. King wore suits all the time. Right. King was lynched. Malcolm was lynched. Uh, you know, just this high profile lynching yep. made an example of murdered. Uh, and so they weren't sagging. Is my point. Right. But when you understand historical contexts, these sort of uh, silly, uh, trivial tit notions that the media throws out, intelligent people and sincere people don't bite on that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are, sometimes that bully can seem so big that any excuse you get not to face them, it, it can be comforting. So that for a parent, if their child comes home and says, hey, you know, I got assaulted by the teacher today or I got accused of stealing in the store and I did. And that parent should be able to look in their child's eyes and see the truth there Mm -hmm. or at least give their child the benefit of the doubt. But then their response is, well, why you take your ass around there? Mm -hmm. Or uh, what was you doing? You had to be doing something. See, that's that's facing the child and not the and not the actual problem mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right it's not even going to question the problem or right. even get to the truth even if you suspect your child might be in the wrong you your responsibility is to investigate and when when we talk about this older the older generation versus the younger um you know in the willie lynch letter uh that was sort of one of the um the theories or the strategies that was um, spelled out by Lin- Willie Lynch, whether people believe that was an authentic letter or not, mm-hmm. it still is very precise. Right. It says older <laughs> versus the younger. So that by the time you have someone in one generation, white supremacy tactics might've been one thing in that generation. Right. But the next generation is facing a different strategy and tactic. Right. And, and that previous generation has to respect and understand that. Right. So that when the younger generation says, hey, this is what we're facing. We know you guys locked arms and marched across the bridge. You know, you tried that, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that was wrong per se, 
you you shot a warning shot or it was it was it was a it was understandable it was a valiant effort now here there's a new game here look we're doing a new thing mm-hmm. you know you got to respect that that other generation has to respect that and and they and they have the duty to investigate and you know and uh, sort of be helpful you know if not if not legitimate leadership you know if it's time to pass the reins and, and hand off the baton then be helpful right you know don't run don't don't hustle backward right right <laughs> and that's you know i i get what you i feel what you're saying yeah oftentimes it's uh it's easier to say yeah you know niggas smoke and and got their pants sagging Right. Well, that's an easy thing to say. That's still not going to do anything about the legacy of white supremacy. Right. Exactly. Yep. No, that's good, man. Well, yeah, man. I think that was um. That's kind of just what I wanted to touch base on. I wanted to just touch base on some of the more current things that was happening in society before we um, you know, just to give something to for the viewers and listeners to to chew on, but um. Is there anything you want to close out with? I do. I want to make a quick note here. And what I want to say is the listeners. Um, so this is a twofold thing. When I say black people in the United States are special, I could mean that in terms of an identity and sort of a, 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 an identity or a destiny, or I could mean it situationally. The underdog in any given situation is always the one that it will mean the most when that underdog arises. Because when people look at situations and they're looking for inspiration to overcome obstacles, personal and public in their own lives, there's nothing more inspiring than when an underdog rises and and makes themselves free and overthrows the bully. So if people don't believe that Black Americans are special in terms of destiny. They will be special in terms of destiny if they, i.e. we, are able to overcome the bully. And and when I say that, this is why I believe the eyes of the world, when it comes to looking at Black people in the United States, you have an example of the quintessential underdog, generationally, from slavery, pre-slavery, but definitely by slavery. Uh, and then forward all the way through George Floyd times and an uprising that 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 spread the face of the planet. And uh, I just wanted to uh, segue backwards and just touch quick on when we were talking about um, quantum uh, entanglement. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we didn't mention during that episode uh, was quantum entanglement is positive and it can be negative. So when you have two different identities that can be locked together in a struggle and a positive example of quantum entanglement would be in a practical sense, uh, theoretically in a practical sense as black people uprise in the United States, specifically in that little city of Minneapolis over there. And then they rise up and all of a sudden it sparks a revolution and you see people rising up in London saying, yes, us too. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's an entanglement situation. Now, you can have negative entanglement to where there can be people groups to when they see something positive happening with that group, they will feel impelled to do the exact opposite 
because one of the instances of entangled particles is that one particle can move right and it means necessarily its entangled partner moves left. Mm. And we see examples of that in reality every time, quote unquote, we try and do something, quote, they seem to be immediately opposed to it. Mm-hmm. So you have these instances of entanglement. But I, I, uh, I wanted to touch on that and say, just what's at stake for us and what's at stake for the bully? Because if the bully is unable to defeat the little, the smaller, the weaker, the previously crying and begging uh, victim, they have so much to lose because once their true weakness is revealed on that entire school ground, right? Mm -hmm. Now, everybody they've bullied to the same or lesser degrees across that entire yard is gonna say, you know what? He ain't so tough. He's, you know, he took my money. He did this, that, and the third. You know what? Me too. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to close wow. on that, man. Oh, that's perfect, man. I like that. So yeah, uh, well, that's a that's a wrap for for today. Uh, we want y'all to subscribe, um, tune in. We got plenty of other videos already on the channel so check those out and uh hit the like button hit the like button Shorty was taught to keep his head to the sky and never